Thanks for joining this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller here with my co-host, fellow regional master instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how's it going today? I am great, Marty. How are you? Good, good. Looking forward to today's topic. We've had people reach out and we've done this topic before called You Asked. And let's be honest, Wendy, that's why we're here. We pick topics each and every week that we think are very relevant to our NASM family, whether they're CPT, CES, PES, you name it, all the above, or the other credentials we have. And as much as we like digging into topics, it's only relevant if people want to hear about it. So this week, we're live. You can ask questions, but we are going to cover a handful of questions that came in either from the NASM CPT Facebook page or directly to Wendy and I, and that's what it's about today. Yes. Um, I, you know, I love it when we get to do some of these lives because we get to see the comments as they come in. So this is the time. If you have questions that Marty and I can answer in a short amount of time, that would be great. If there are other comments that you want to make about future um, topics that you want us to cover, you can also throw those into the comments so we can take note and then hopefully put that into our schedule as well. So Marty, let's go ahead and dive right in because I know that there are some good questions that will probably take us a little bit of time to go through. <laughs> yeah, so just a brief introduction. We're here for you. But Wendy and I just mentioned that is we put these together each and every week, hopefully that it can positively impact your experiences at NESM certified personal trainer or any of the other credentials we put out. We want to also at the end talk about the resources that are available to you and then always keep those questions coming. So here we go into question number one. So Wendy, I'll start it off and we'll both maybe give an answer here. But the question came in. I'm looking for a little guidance on how to start back up with a client who's just been cleared after having rotator cuff surgery. And then the second part here is I'm a fairly new trainer. And this would be my first client coming back after surgery. Any help is appreciated. Yeah, this one's kind of a tough one because it depends on what type of rotator cuff surgery they had. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of different ways. There's partial repairs, there's full repairs, there's just labrum that people sometimes call like a rotator cuff, com you know, complete surgery. Have, how long were they mobilized or immobilized? Um, I guess immobilized. Did they go through uh, physical therapy? And when they said they were cleared, you know, what does the physical therapist say? So first and foremost, I would answer or get those answers to the questions. And if you have an opportunity, I would try to contact that physical therapist they're always appreciative when you do that. I know a lot of trainers are like, well, I really don't want to bother them or I'm not sure what to ask. The easiest thing is you want to continue on with the physical therapy that they were doing, especially if it's something where they don't have full available range of motion yet, but they can provide you with exercises that are within your scope because it's something that they gave to you. And then you incorporate those into your program as well as the other things that you feel is comfortable. Plus, you also want to ask, are there certain things this particular client should not be doing? For example, maybe they're not ready to do some type of lat foam roll because they have to have their arm in deflection and apply force and body weight. So I think, you know, there are a lot of I wish I could say it's just a this is the answer. However, it's one of those that it really does depend. But there are a lot of really good exercises that you can incorporate to help strengthen the rotator cuff muscles for sure. Yeah. And, you know, Wendy and I say this pretty much every master instructor roundtable, the model is your friend. You have to do your assessments, even if someone's cleared, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that all their movement compensations are gone. They may have a forward head and we'll get into this maybe some other time. We did this on a tech neck 
one back in the day, what the sternocleidomastoid does to the clavicle and how that affects the rotator cuff, right? The way it changes biomechanics. They may still have tight pec, tight lat. It might have gotten worse because in therapy, their job sometimes, unfortunately, it's not their fault, is to get them back to having pretty much pain-free and the activities of daily living. And the activity of daily living may not be the same thing that they're shooting for from their goals in their fitness program. But here's the beautiful thing about it is if I'm, they're medically cleared and I do the movement assessment and I focus on, can they do things without affecting their five kinetic chain checkpoints? Can they do things pain-free now foam rolling? We're going on that pain scale, but we've explained it in the certification. We're looking for maybe a five or a six. It shouldn't be a seven, eight, nine, or 10, right? So then let's look at what we do in corrective and stabilization training. We're working on the biomechanics of the shoulder joint, right? We're looking at, do they have internal external rotation? Can they retract and depress their scapulas? It's not about shrugging. It's not about shoulder presses with load. It's not about all those other sometimes exercise people know upright rows. We talk about what happens biomechanically. So you're going to be doing a lot of postural based exercises, your ball combos, your cobras, scaption, retraction, depression, that stuff will be phenomenal for those type of clients, comma, if they're cleared and comma, if they're not aggravating them when they're doing those type of exercises. So do not put them right into a strength training program, go into corrective exercise and stabilization endurance, and you're going to see good results. Yes. And this is really where I think the acute variables are going to play an important role too, because you really do want to focus on that, you know, eccentric contraction portion. You really want to try to get full muscle length in that contraction muscle spectrum. So you want to think about, you know, slowly going back down into whatever exercise they're doing. And commonly, you know, we get the questions of, well, what are good exercises to do? Again, that's where the physical therapist can come into play but common ones that you'll see is where somebody will place like a rolled up towel underneath someone's armpit, try to keep them in good alignment within the shoulder. They can do cable or tubing internal and external rotation. Sometimes I know with the baseball pitchers, when they had labrum tears, we would go into like a high 90-90 and they would be pulling back or pulling forward. Um, I think doing D1, D2 patterns where it's a cross movement with really light weight or even no weight, depending on what they're able to do. Uh, scaptions are always really good as well, as long as it's pain-free and through range of motion that they can control, as well as cobras. I mean, guys, you've got to think when someone's been immobilized, that that whole area has not moved in however many months. And, and so that time with a little movement, think about what happens to the muscles. They start to break down. They haven't been moved. So really starting light, I think is extremely important. So slow movement, intentional movements, and through available range of motion is really going to help you, I think, accelerate them to better range of motion and to also get them more strength. Yep. And we've talked about other things like high planks and bear crawls at some point, closed chain. So all good ways to go about it. So hopefully that helps. <laughs> All right, All right Marty, I'm going to read you this one and then yep. you can start off. Um, so my NASM CPT is due this coming year. So July of 2024, but my CPR is good until February of 25. Do I need to renew the CPR too before July anyways to get the recertification or just the NASM creds? Does anyone know? We know. So, <laughs> yes. You have to be currently certified. So that's key. 
So if it's certified and it's on that every other year, you're fine. As long as you can show that you're certified currently, as you send in your CPT uh, credit, uh, CEU units that you need is the 1.9 and the 0.1 is for the CPR. Yes. And I think that's really important too, is just make sure that it does not lapse, especially if you are currently working with clients and not just holding your credential just to hold your credentials. So yes, great question. We do get that one often. So Marty, I, I was kind of grateful that you put this in here because I think sometimes we, we uh, kind of lose that. <laughs> Before we even go back, we don't need to go back a slide. But you notice that the person put in their July 2024, I think what's important, and I've had people catch this late sometimes, is I have other credentials certifications on a national level, and mine's very easy to remember. It's January 1 through December 31st. Your NASM CPD does not go that route. It's not a calendar year. It's exactly to the date that you became a CPT. So mark that in your calendar. Mine's August every year, and I just renewed this past August, so I'm good through August of 2025. It's a little bit easier to like kind of lose track of what your two year cycle is because it's not on a calendar year. So kind of food for thought, put something, a reminder somewhere because you got two years from that date that you got certified. Mm -hmm. Okay, Marty, I'm going to read you this question because this one, I think we can go into a lot of detail and probably spend an entire uh, webinar on this question alone, but I'm a new trainer who just had a first session with a client. So congratulations. This client was passed to me from another trainer that was not NASM certified. So boo on that. Um, he's 241 pounds and wants to be down to 225 in April of 2024. I'm just curious as to if this is a reasonable goal with meeting two times a week. I know other factors contribute like diet, sleep and stress, etc. But I wanted or I just would like a frame of reference. He is 29 years young. Very good. So first and foremost, there's a couple of different ways we can look at this. So when you look at 241 wants to be down to 225, is that a realistic goal? I don't know yet, right? Because we don't know what their body fat percentage is, their body mass index. It's not a huge percentage of their body weight. So like if somebody said, hey, I'm 241, I want to be 185. Maybe that isn't the right weight. So first, don't always let them pick a number. I would say, well, why is 225 your number? And they might be like, well, that's what I weighed when I graduated college, et cetera. So there's still some things that could change. Well, did you put on more muscle mass as well as body fat? So now maybe your best weight might be 232. So sometimes I like to try to get some discernment on why they chose a number. And then I can start to see, okay, what percentage of their body is that? And then can I safely go after that? So without seeing this individual, without doing some measurements and et cetera, you know, we're going to make some safe assumptions here because we're only talking about 16 pounds off a 241 person. It's not 16 pounds off of a 160 pound person. That would be 10% of their body weight. That may not be the right way. So 241 to 225, 16 pounds. We have over five months. If you do one to two pounds a week, you're easily going to fall within that. So yes, do I think that it would be a very achievable goal to get from 241 to 225 between now, like we could even push this to November. You'd have November, December, January, February, March. Then you'd hit April 1st. You'd have five full months, right? That's 20 weeks. That's not even a pound a week. That is a very conservative weight loss type of goal. And that's what actually the clients that you would like to have are those clients that say, this is what I want to do. And to Marty's point, you know, looking at someone's body type, 
And are they currently active? How active are they? Because if someone's really, really active, they eat a very strict diet already. And, you know, they're a very bigger framed type of individual. Is it something that's going to make them look better? Are they trying to get leaner? What is the outcome? Because sometimes that number is just a number, but it's, they're looking for something different. They want their physique to look different. They want, you know, they want to look leaner. And sometimes when somebody does that, that scale may be hard to reach a particular number. So to Marty's point, why that, that specific number, I think we want to be realistic. Now, if someone's not moving and they've been sedentary, they want to get active two times a week. You know, if you do that and then you give them homework and give them a program that they can do on their own, meaning, hey, when you're at home and you go and walk the dog, maybe pick up the pace a little bit more. Or what type of cardio are you doing on the opposite days? Because you've got to think about calories, calories in versus calories out. That's a very generalized but easy way of thinking about it. Yes. Is there more to it than that? Absolutely. But generalizing what is their, what are they eating? Like you said, diet is going to play a big role. If somebody is all about, you know, sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, they drink a lot of alcohol, that's going to be a really hard, you know, hard number to hit, especially if they're not willing to make a lifestyle change. So I think that's when the coaching comes in. We always talk about being a trainer and thinking about their workouts. Yes, you can make them look different, but nutrition really is going to be a key, key aspect when you're looking at the actual scale. Yeah. And again, there's other factors, but you know, two times a week, I could train somebody once a week and still they could be on a weight loss program because I should be the general manager of their fitness journey. And I, now I have to find ways to hold them accountable when they're not with me, but you know, they should, you know, learn to get their 10,000 steps. Not the 10,000 steps is some magical number where miracles happen. But, you know, that's just a frame of reference. If they're only at 2,500 steps on the days they don't work out, right, you know that they don't have activity. And there are people that can still be sedentary even though they work out two times a week because it's what you're doing throughout the course of a week, right? So exercise two to three times a week for sure, but try to be active five to seven days a week. And active on a recovery day could still just be going for a nice, easy, casually one or two mile walk, taking the stairs in places, all of those things chip away at everyone's uh, weight, you know, goals, especially without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And if you reassess them every four to six weeks, you should start to see a lot of changes in this individual, especially if they were more sedentary. So when we say, can they do it? Well, yes, you know, the numbers say that they can. And like Marty said, I mean, it's a very realistic goal, but you know, why can't they reach it on their own? So you want to keep that in mind too, but. Yeah. and, And before we, again, we can keep this slide here is, you know, when you um, potentially work with somebody from a different um, background, even though they're certified in personal training, you know, to understand that they still have some of the normal understanding of, right, the heart's the heart, calories are calories. The big difference that you're going to find is they may not be familiar with your methodology in a system of movement assessments into a progressive linear type of training that the OPT model offers of stabilization to their strength block to our power block. But, you know, the good news is how the heart responds and things like that uh, is the same. So, you know, I think that's critical to understand that when you're, you know, speaking to uh, people from outside of the NASM family. Indeed. Very well said. (laughs) All right, Marty, question four. As I continue to learn about strength programming, 
we always love that people are still learning. I love it when they say I continue to learn versus I learned. Mm -hmm. I realized that an overwhelming majority of my written workouts are total body and don't provide enough focus on one or two muscle groups. Where do you believe total body workouts have the most or the, have a place most? Mind you, the total body I typically mean is one to two exercises for lower body and one to two exercises for upper body and a core exercise. Okay. So there's a lot of ways I can go. So I'm trying to go in a logical progression. So first and foremost, you can do total body or two muscle groups in any phase of training. Um, first, I have to go by how much time is the person able to commit to a session. So I've had clients like, hey, I can get in here for 30, 45 minutes max, but I can be here five days a week. I've had other clients say I can get here twice a week. So then I have to pick and choose, you know, the person that comes in twice a week might be able to stay for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. So I have to start to figure out what makes most sense from a programming standpoint. But I could do stabilization training and I could still break it down in a push pull pattern, a lower body pattern. I will admit that when I'm in my stabilization endurance training, I do like total body if I can do that, but it's not a must do. I'm looking at the total volume of work over the course of the week. Now, what I don't want to do is only focus on one or two muscle parts. Reason being is we're an integrated unit, right? The five kinetic chain checkpoints are all connected. Our body does move together as a unit throughout life. When do you know my hobbies now outside of things that I've done in the past? I love paddle boarding. That's a total body thing. I got to have the whole body connected. I love the yoga. I love the pickleball. Like, so there's things where my body's in, in everyday activity. My whole body has to be connected, right? In a good um, synchronous type of patterning. So I'm always going to anchor back to some total body workouts from the athleticism of it. But as I move through muscular development type of training, or maybe even before that, a strength endurance or a max strength, I kind of like doing, uh, you know, multiple body parts, but power, I go back to total body. So there, there is wiggle room there. Do not get me wrong. But what I think we do in fitness far too often before the functional training came up, but then sometimes now I even see that is we only did body part training, right? Today's back and buys, today's legs, today's shoulders and tries. That's okay, but make sure you dial these body parts back together as an integrated unit frequently because that's how the body's truly going to work in real life. Yes, and today on the Master Instructor Roundtable with myself, Wendy Batts, and Marty Miller, we're talking about questions that you asked and we're hoping to answer. And to piggyback off of what you said, Marty, I think it's really important to think about a lot of different aspects. Biomechanically, we always talk about the subsystems and when your foot hits the ground, how it affects the rest of the kinetic chain. What's happening with, you know, we, we've talked about if you don't have full available range of motion, how it can affect your shoulder. We've talked about how the lower back and the lumbar pelvic hip complex, when it's not ideal, how it can affect something that's happening at the knee. And so everything is interconnected. And so to your point, I think training total body, I love to do that. To your point, especially if there's a time commitment, especially if I want to hit all body parts and, and, and they enjoy it because they have to cognitively think about doing multiple things at once. Plus, if you're doing multi-joint, you're probably going to be burning more calories as well. Now, to your point, Marty, when you get into muscular development, if you're doing something called instead of the vertical load, which is one exercise after another, after another, and you're doing more of a horizontal load. So if I'm doing chest, then I need to take time in between 
And that is going to limit the amount of exercises and body parts I may be able to do because of the time factor. Plus, I want to make sure I've got enough rest and recovery to fully engage the muscles as intended. That's where the acute variables come into play. That's when you really need to look at the rest period that someone needs. So what is the what is the goal for this person and what is it that you're trying to do? Maybe like to Marty's point, if you see someone three times a week, maybe focus on upper body exercises on Monday, you know, on uh, Wednesday, do lower body exercises and then do a total body day on Friday or to what you said, Marty, break it up into push pull or do different body parts on different days. Strongly suggest not doing shoulders and chest on the same day, personally, unless you focus on the rear delts because you're constantly using the anterior delt when you are pushing. And sometimes that little guy just can't handle it. And uh, that's where we start to have even more rounded shoulders and internal rotation. So that's the beauty of what we do. Be creative. Think about what's in the best interest. But if you are that total body type trainer, that's okay because I do it very, very often. Plus, if you think about it, look at the template that NASM provides you and do some core that's going to be very specific on activation. You're going to be doing balance, which is very focused on the foot and ankle, as well as the arch of the foot. And then you're also going to then do plyo speed things up. So plyo is going to be a little bit more total body kind of integrating that. And that's just your warm up. So maybe do a total body right after that during maybe a dynamic flexibility exercise and then break it up into different body parts in that vertical load. You're doing individual part or body parts. You're working on specific prime movers. You're giving a variety within your programming. So it's not always just here are four things I've got to think about every single time I pick up the weights or the cable or something like that. Because again, that can get overwhelming and sometimes boring for clients. So switch it up. But again, make sure it makes sense to your client's goals, how much time they have and to what your overall programming goals are. And, and you should be just fine. Yeah. And there's so many creative ways you can do it. We can excuse me, change planes and mode. Excuse me. Now it's your time. That happened to me. What a couple yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> you can change planes of motion. There's all kinds of fun ways to take, you know, what you did on day one and just add a little flavor to it on day two by just going from sagittal plane to frontal plane. So you can be creative and have fun with it. Yeah. And I also do want to also throw out too, usually you won't do a ton of total body exercises when you're in phases two and, and phases five. And that's because they are supersets. And so if you're trying to superset something very unstable, slow and controlled, you know, after doing some strength type movement pattern, you're not really going to build as not enough strength to fully get the prime movers to fire the way that they're intended. So that's the time where I would say, they really, really think about what you're trying to do and what phase, because if you do that, you're going to really tire out that person and you may not get that stabilization that, you know, um, endurance that you're looking for at that moment. So when you get into strength, your body's kind of in shock, like, wait, what, what do you want me to do? Because there are bigger joints and smaller joints. And so we want to take all of that in consideration. <laughs> Yes. Or bigger muscles, I guess, not really joints, bigger muscles. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I guess there are smaller joints and stuff too, but y'all know what I mean. <laughs> I'm exactly without a doubt. Right. So Wendy, I think we can talk about, uh, spend a few minutes here on the key takeaways. So I'll start off with the social media. And if I, you know, we've got more and more coming. So if, if I've missed one, please. 
obviously you guys are all here today. So you, you want to continue to gather information that we can help you develop your business and your um, just your level of skill as you go through this career. So on social media, make sure you follow first the NASM underscore fitness. That's the, the NASM social media, the Instagram there that's been around for a while. And proudly, NASM launched the NASM performance Instagram page earlier this year. And Wendy and I uh, self-plug here, do an Instagram live every other week. And then I'm on the NASM underscore fitness every week doing my coffee talk. So there's two ways that you can dig into the content, see what's coming out, stay abreast of everything there. And did I miss any of the other social media, Wendy? Did I get it all? No, I mean, really just NASM fitness, NASM performance. Uh, our vid, you know, vid, there's a ton of video content that comes out. And especially on the NASM performance channel, guys, if you are not part of that, you really should be. It's a lot of fun. And they're putting out some great videos. I know somebody was asking about the physique and bodybuilding training course that we do. That's also a huge, huge component of what NASM Performance does. So if you're not listening or a part of that, you definitely want to go in and follow that page because I think you're going to get some great information. And I'll talk about number two, Marty, talking about plugs. Y'all need to listen to every one of our podcasts. Why? Because they're awesome. And our producer is awesome. And we try to really answer all the questions and embrace everyone with every type of goal in our NASM family. So I know that there are multiple, or well, there's two that are specifically focused on wellness and behavior. And we have obviously Marty and I's uh, master instructor roundtable that we do. And so if you guys haven't you just started listening to us, you want to go back and listen to some of the other ones because we've been doing this for a long time. And then a selfish plug on my part, I also do one with, Ken Miller. It's called Random Fit. And we talk about everything random fitness wise you can imagine. So they're, they're a lot of fun, but we also want to make sure that they're informative and we're talking about topics that you guys really want us to talk about as well. So if you haven't listened to all of them, we've got Rick Ritchie too. You can't ever not forget Rick. I mean, Rick talks everything CPT as well. So, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to join us guys. It's, it is a lot of fun. Without a doubt. And then our NASM CPT Facebook page, it's a great way. There's over 13,000, I believe, NASM credentialed people in there. So it's just another way to network, ask questions. And, you know, obviously you'll see people like myself, Wendy, jump in and give our points of view, but you will see a, a bunch of interactions just between people throughout the, the world, which is awesome. And then, Wendy, I know what's coming up next on our slides. Can you tell these amazing people how to get a hold of you so we can continue this journey with them and see what else they want us to talk about? Yes. And, and just know, too, that if you do email Marty and I, we do get those emails. Usually sometimes we don't because they might go to spam our NASM. They love sometimes to send some emails that they're not really sure about to spam and we may not get them. So if you've sent us an email and we have not responded, please don't be offended. We may not have gotten it. So please just resend it to us again. Plus, we do travel. So we try to get to everyone. Uh, we do get a lot of emails that come our way, which we do absolutely uh, appreciate. So just know that if we haven't gotten back to you, it was not because we meant to. So just make sure you kind of uh, give us a nudge and, and do that. But you can always email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. Yeah. And then my information is coming up dr.martymiller72 and email marty.miller at nasm.org. Yes. And guys, we want to continue to do these types of uh, 
podcast because we know that they are going to be very beneficial. We are answering your questions. These were pulled directly, like I said, from emails or things that we've gotten off of the Facebook page because we don't just get them once we get them very often. So that's how these are getting chosen if you want to know. <laughs> and uh, and we really do appreciate it because as Marty said in the very beginning and we said throughout this podcast and webinar that we really want to do this for you. So if there's something that you have that you think we can help answer or if you've got anxiety about something, please be sure to throw it our way. We'll do our best to make sure we get the questions answered. And Marty, as always, thank you for your insights on some of these questions too. Yeah, it's fun. We, we love this. Let's keep it going. So we wait to, we look forward to hearing from you all soon. So Wendy, as always, thanks for your positive insight and great information. So any of you and all of you that joined us today, we can't thank you enough. We look forward to seeing you again next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.